0: You're a very friendly bunch. Is there anyone in the room who's never seen me Forward, doesn't know who I am? Quite a few people. Hello. I'm Julie. Um, yeah, like, like they said, uh, I'm from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen West. We have a bit more of a mouthful, Aberdeen West, which we meet in the Beacon Centre in Bucksburn, and we're really for... Um, the area around there, Kingswells, West Hill, Countess Wells, all that kind of area. So um, our site, say hello, and uh, it's great to be here. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to take some time to just read a small section of the Bible, and I'm going to talk for a bit, and we're going to ask God to help us understand it and live it out, because we believe that these are God's life-transforming words, don't we? They are his life-transforming words to us. And I believe and I've experienced that a life connected to God and to his truth is the best kind of life you could live. And the good thing is, is that we're all invited into that life. We're all invited to have close connection with God. You know, He made each one of you. He knows you. He loves you. Maybe it's been a while since you've heard that. Maybe you've never heard that before. He knows you, he loves you, and he has a good plan for your life. And actually, we find out what that plan is in this book. And uh, we find out who we're created to be by reading this book. So if you've ever wondered what the voice of God sounds like, it's in this book. If you've ever wondered what his voice sounds like, it's in this book. So whether you've been a Christian for 10 weeks or 10 years, or perhaps you're still on a journey towards God, Um, pick up this book, read it, ask questions, have a conversation with God and uh, see what happens because God promises that anyone who seeks him will find him. He is a God who wants to be found. And so why don't we pray for this morning? Uh, God, you've invited us to come close and to hear you speak. So help us this morning, God, to... uh, Put all distractions of the week aside and to listen and hear and be changed by your words, by your spirit. Lord, would you wake up our hearts this morning, where we've been sleeping, where we've been spiritually asleep, Lord, wake us up, open our spiritual eyes and ears to hear and know the truth this morning in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. And by saying amen, you've just agreed to that prayer, which means that you're going to hear from god this morning god wants to speak to you and he will speak to you so let's have ears to hear so let's open the book the bible to the book of ephesians and um, which is in the new testament and if you're not too sure about the bible well let me just say this it's in two sections there's the old testament which covers the time up until Jesus was born, and then there's the New Testament, which covers the time of Jesus living on earth and beyond, and um, this morning, we're reading from the New Testament, which is a collection of 27 different books or letters written by people who knew Jesus really well, and they were written to the early church, and they did life with him. They knew him. um, They knew all about his teaching. They followed him, and actually, through the Bible today, we also know jesus and by knowing jesus we know god and so if you ever want to know what god is like then look to jesus in the bible just i I love the bible okay we we need to be people of the bible it's amazing so we're in the book of ephesians we will get there chapter six um, and we're going to read you can grab a bible do i chuck it what do you do here we just chuck it in at west yeah we, health and safety goes out the window um, it'll also come up on the screens behind now I know technically we finished the book of Ephesians a long time ago but we're just going to dip back into it because I don't think you've done this passage that we're on this morning and what we're reading is part of a letter that Paul wrote to help and encourage the church back then and it still helps and encourages us today and so um before we read we will get there I promise There's just one thing, it's been a while since we've read from Ephesians, and um, I just want to look at what he's been saying so far in the letter, because that will help us connect with what we're talking about today. And there are two clear things that he says. The first thing he says is that we're new people, we are new people. The second thing he says is that we are um, in a new way of living. So first of all, in chapters 1 to 3, he unpacks the truth of our identity, he's saying We are new people. The moment you invited Christ to be the leader of your life, you instantly became a new person. Isn't that good news? Jesus gave you a new identity. Your old life was buried. All the shame and guilt and sin of the past was dealt with and it no longer separated you from God. God looked at you and all he saw was holiness righteousness purity because when he looked at you what he saw was jesus in you jesus the holy blameless pure person without sin he took the blame for your sin and in in place of your unrighteousness he gave you his righteousness so this is what paul's saying The minute you put your trust in Jesus, you became a new person. That's chapters 1 to 3. Then, chapters 4 to 6, he's saying, because we are new people, we should live in a new way. A way that brings glory to God and reflects who he is and that looks radically different from everyone else around us. And so what Paul does is cover a whole bunch of um, characteristics and behaviors that mark us as people belonging to God. So chapters 1 to 3, we are new. Chapters 4 to 6, we live in a new way. And now it comes to the end of the letter, and it seems like Paul is wrapping things up. By taking these two themes, I am new because I belong to Christ, and therefore I will live my life differently. And he's bringing these two things together, like sharpening two edges of a sword down to a point. And the point, he says, is we're in a battle and we need weapons to fight this battle. He says we're in a battle and we need weapons to fight this battle. So now let's read and let's find out what this battle is that he's talking about. Ephesians chapter 6 and from verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power on the full armor of God so that everyone say so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes everyone say stand. stand for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, everyone say stand, your ground. And after you have done everything to stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, this book, which we love, don't we? Thank you, Tammy. You love it. It's great. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. schemes and struggles, powers of the dark world, and flaming arrows. This is like a scene from Lord of the Rings, isn't it? It's an epic battle between good and evil that requires full body armor in order to survive. There's the helmet, the shield, the breastplate, the sword. And although Paul is obviously talking metaphorically about the armor, the struggle, the fight that he's talking about here is very real. This word struggle is the Greek word pale, and it means to wrestle. It's painting a picture of a contest between opponents. The battle is real, but Paul says it's not a physical battle. Paul says we are not fighting against flesh and blood. In other words, people are not the real enemy. We are not fighting people. Isn't it so important? It's so so important to know because sometimes we become so focused on a person and what they are doing to hurt us or how they are and um, causing disruption in our lives, and we focus on the person and we actually miss the fact that actually this is spiritual. There's also um, spiritual forces scheming against us behind the scenes let's not become focused on just what is visible on a person but let's remember we're spiritual paul says we face a spiritual battle and he says it takes place in what he calls the heavenly realms now this is paul's phrase his word of describing the unseen and the unseen world the whole spiritual realm that is not visible to our physical eyes So what's Paul saying? He's saying we're at war. He's saying it's unavoidable. He's saying it's invisible. And he's saying it's real. But the good news is, we're going to find out today that in Christ, this is not something we need to be afraid of. We must not be fearful of this. Not because we're particularly strong, but because we're in relationship with someone who is and he has a battle plan that brings victory. So we're thinking about a war, and um, in a war, there's some things you need to know. First of all, number one, you need to know your enemy. Who is this battle against? What is their strategy? How do they fight? Number two, you must know your commander. Who or what exactly are we fighting for? And number three, are we equipped to fight this battle? What weapons do we have? What armor do we have? It's all about sizing up the enemy. Now, it may surprise you, may not, to know that I've never actually been ever in a real-life physical fight. I know you might not believe it, but it's true. Never been in a real-life physical fight. The closest experience I have to sizing up my enemy was a real-life, board game situation. Having played Monopoly with my husband Mark for over 20 years now, I know his ways. I know his strategies. It's predictable. He always goes for the weird ones like Waterworks and Electric Company. Who does that? And before you know it, he's rolling in cash. And he knows my strategy. He knows that I will always go for the two purple ones mayfair park lane and just wait patiently until someone lands on my hotel on one of them and so he'll do his best to thwart that plan we are sworn monopoly enemies who use our knowledge of each other to gain victory when it comes to the spiritual battle we're in we need to know our opponent and his strategies in order to gain victory The enemy I'm talking about this morning, of course, is Satan or the devil. And he is someone who has always and lives in rebellion against God. He hates God. He hates us. And he has made it his lifelong goal to sabotage every aspect of our lives, our marriages, our finances, our relationships, our health, our self-worth. He wants the very opposite of what God wants for our lives. And his strategy is to lie and keep us believing his lies. The Bible calls him the father of lies. That means there is absolutely no truth in him. Nothing that comes out of his mouth is truth. He's full of deception and seeks to mislead us with lies about God about our life in God, about our personal reality and circumstances. I hope this has never been the case for you, but we've had a friend in the past who um, was just known to lie, to exaggerate and twist the truth. And it got to the point where we just never believed anything he ever said because he was known for lying. Why would we believe the enemy who is a known liar? Why do we believe? What lie right now is he trying to get you to believe about your life? When you want to know how things really are in your life, who you really are, who do you go to? The wise, honest, truthful, and true friend. And we know that that is Jesus. God, his word. The enemy comes and he attacks our identity, doesn't he? Magnifying our insecurities, leading us to doubt what God says about us and he whispers in our ear, could God love you? Does he really love you? You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. These nothing that comes out of the enemy's mouth is truth in any way it's all deception he comes against us he attacks our confidence constantly reminding us of our past mistakes and bad choices hoping to convince you that you're under god's condemnation rather than under his grace and love this is our enemy he works hard to bring division and disunity within families within the church we have to be really careful he wants us to live offended even by the smallest thing he wants us to be bitter and to turn us against one another he wants people separated and isolated unaware of his schemes and unarmed he will do anything and everything to keep us from living the life that god has for us let's not underestimate him and the impact Of his influence in our lives but everyone say but enough about that let's not also overestimate the enemy's power yes let's not overestimate the impact either which leads us if we do to living in fear and anxiety he may be strong but God is stronger yes Yes. Satan has limited power and he knows it in fact He knows that in the end, he will not win because Jesus has already secured our victory. When Christ rose from the dead, he disempowered the enemy. Amen? He knows he can't destroy you. It's too late for that. He's already lost. It's a fixed fight. The best he can do is make your time on earth ineffective and difficult. In another letter called Colossians, Paul says, That Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Listen, the enemy is disarmed and he's embarrassed. A few chapters back in Ephesians, it says that he has been overruled. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says he's been rendered powerless. And in 1 John, it says that the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's hard work. The enemy wants us to believe that he is strong and mighty, but the truth is he's running scared because he knows who our commander is. And he knows that when Christians stop believing his lies and start believing God's truth, they are armed and dangerous, immune to his attacks and a force to be reckoned with. It's a fixed fight and he's on the losing side. Yes? So enough about him. Who's our commander? Who is our commander? Who are we fighting for and with? And the answer, of course, is Jesus, our great general, our chief, our commander. We fight for him and his glory. And so what are his credentials? Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 18 to 23. We know that it says Satan wreaks havoc in the heavenly places. Remember, the heavenly places is the unseen spiritual world. It says here, but... That's always good. But Christ is also there in the heavenly places. And he is ruling the place. It's his place. He's in charge. He's the king. And notice, this is brilliant. He's not just there. It says he is seated. Now, you might not understand why it says that. But let me tell you, in ancient times, um, Being seated was a symbolic posture of a king whose army had already been victorious in battle. So instead of standing and pacing around and worrying himself about what's going to happen, the king would come and he would park himself on his throne as a visible statement of his complete and utter triumph. And here's the exciting bit. I think I said that last time, but it's it's more exciting. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It turns out we are also in the heavenly places. We're here, but we're also there. It's a bit like FaceTime. We can be physically in one place while still engaging in another place, if that helps. And it gets even better. Not only are we there, but it says we are seated. We are seated. And look at verse 3 of chapter 1. It says we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are blessed in Christ and we are seated with Christ victorious. Do you know what? The enemy knows that and so should you. The enemy knows it and so should you. When you placed your faith in Christ, you were transported with Christ to a position of victory, and we call this the higher ground. A tactical strategy of any army is to seek higher ground and fight the battle from that position. The higher ground gives us wider vision. We can see the enemy coming. It makes it more difficult for the enemy. They're wearying themselves out with all this uphill attack towards us. Can you see? That we already have an incredibly strong position in christ we have the higher ground and that's why paul says be strong in the lord and in his mighty power our strength comes from our union with christ and his power satan's power is no match for this kind of explosive divine power and it's also why paul says stand four times He says it, take a stand, stand your ground, stand firm. He doesn't want wobbly Christians. And notice that he's not saying attack, attack, attack. He's saying stand, stand, stand. In other words, defend the territory that has already been won. This is not a fight for your life. Jesus has already won that fight. This is a defense of the life of that is rightfully ours yes God gives us this command and he also gives us the defenses we need in order to still be standing strong even after the enemy has come against us and this is the third thing what what, what do we have to win this fight what are our um, weapons what's our armor well this is really exciting as well. I get excited a lot about what's in the Bible. It's good. Okay. Not only do we have this armor, but we read that it's actually divine armor that God himself used. God gives us this divine armor that will protect us from any attack that comes our way. Okay. Our responsibility is to pick it up and put it on. This is what we have from Isaiah. This is exciting because It already happened in Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, and now it's happening in the New Testament. It's very cool. Okay, well, we have God's armor given to us. This is in a situation where his people were in a bad way, and it says here, he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene and help. So what does he do? His own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. This is God. He's putting on divine armor, armor that works. It's his armor, and it's the same armor that he's giving to us that he used to fight for injustice and salvation. This is the armor that he's giving us. And he says, put the whole thing on, not just one bit, the whole um, suit of armor. So we're just going to quickly go through what that armor is. And uh, are you ready? Thanks, Tammy. Are you ready? Come on. We like a bit of participation at West, you know, a bit of heckling. No, not heckling. That's bad. Encouragement. All right. So first of all, the very first item that we need to put on is the belt of truth. Now, I don't know if you're wearing a belt this morning, but most of us, if we are wearing a belt, they're probably just about this thick, just little thin things. The belt of truth in a soldier's armor was thick. So supportive. Good for after you've had babies, I think. Um, Sorry, that's too much information. Okay. I'm distracted myself. I've distracted myself. What am I talking about? The belt of truth. All right. Okay. It's a very thick support. Basically, it, it strengthens the core. The belt of truth. Truth you know, we're talking about the enemy's strategy as lies. The first thing we need to put on is the belt of truth. Truth is God's opinion on any matter. Truth is God's opinion on any matter. We need to get that around our core. Everything else tucks into that and gets held into place by the belt of truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate of righteousness is like a bulletproof vest. Okay? It doesn't stop us getting hit. But if we get knocked down, we can get right back up again. It's a, it's a bulletproof vest. Even, for instance, if we're being attacked with condemnation, this breastplate, this bulletproof vest of righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, that's, it, it's saying who we are. We have Jesus' righteousness. Therefore, condemnation cannot pierce the righteousness. Even if we sin because of Jesus' righteousness, which is now ours, we can get up and start again. We need to put on the bulletproof vest of Jesus' righteousness every day. Then, we have the shoes of peace. So apparently, I read on Google, which we all know is always correct, and. Um, The military success of both Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar was all down to the fact that their armies had shoes. They had a good pair of shoes, apparently. Shoes give us a firm footing, shoes give us a way to stand for a very long time. A deep sense of God's overarching peace in our lives gives us stability. To stand firm. The shield of faith. Now, my two boys, they have shields that they got from Warwick Castle. They're only about this size. They're not very big at all. Made of foam. Pretty useless. Um, We're talking here giant shields like the size of doors. Designed to protect the whole person. Now, this shield of faith, when we hold this up, this is us saying, Jesus, I am resting in your protection. I'm raising my faith. I'm trusting in you. I'm resting in you. I'm putting my faith in you. We raise it up. And actually, together, when everyone's got their shield up, what protection we have from those flaming arrows. Next, helmet of salvation. In other words, we wear this this hat that protects our minds. We protect Uh, protects our head and we are protected because we're saved the helmet of salvation we're protected because we're in christ we are secure we can actually hold our heads up in confidence and joy and just say come on then what's you know give me your worst we are protected because we're saved and then finally this is not a piece of armor as such it's the sword of the spirit our only attacking weapon. The word of God is living and active. And if we're thinking about the strategy of the enemy and his lies, for every lie the enemy attacks us with, there is a truth in here that defeats it. We need to train with the sword. We need to know how to carry the sword, use the sword, and we must never, ever, ever go to battle without our sword. So there we have what God gives us, this divine armor, explosive, powerful armor that we have a responsibility to put on. But just before I finish, I need to remind you that this is a we battle. We are all in this battle. Nobody's immune. We stand together. Paul talks a lot about unity in all his letters, and particularly in this one, because he knows that the enemy is going after that. The enemy is going after unity within relationships, within our church. Paul knows that, and he wants us to stand together, and so he addresses the whole church as an army. You know, a soldier doesn't go to war by himself. That would be ridiculous. In fact, downright dangerous. Lone soldiers are easy targets. But when we stand together, then the enemy cannot penetrate. When we all hold up our shields of faith, the entire army is protected. Someone once said, our enemies are on every side, and so must our armor be, on the left, on the right. And Paul finishes the whole thing with something that's so important, which is prayer. He says, and pray for me. He's not immune. He's the Apostle Paul. He's not immune. Isn't that good news? That even someone like the Apostle Paul um, knows that he needs to put on his armor. The enemy's strategy is to catch us unaware, unarmed, and isolated. Our strategy is to be on guard armed and ready, united as one, standing strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Don't we want to be really effective Christians? Don't we want to see God's kingdom come in power around our lives? It's a battle. But when we live in God's truth of knowing and believing who we are in Christ and we allow our connection to Christ, to influence our whole lives, we put on the armor, the enemy can't penetrate. He can't break down our relationships. He can't get inside our heads. He's powerless. We need to stand strong in the struggle and remember that because of Jesus, you have the higher ground. Amen? I wonder this morning, I would normally say let's stand, but what I want you to do is... (laughs) If you feel this morning you just want to stand as a response to this message and say, I'm going to stand. We're in this together. We're going to stand. Well, I'm going to invite you now. Why don't we do that? If you want to be, you know, you want to say to the Lord this morning, I am going to stand. I'm going to put on my armor. Then why don't we do that now? Let's stand together. And let's just declare to the enemy that we are standing strong. In Christ, as a church, this site, Ellen, Catalyst Vineyard Church, Ellen, standing strong, holding your shield of faith up together.